You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The shadow brokers and the shadowy world of hybrid warfare. Is someone using seized Silk Road Bitcoin wallets to bid on leaked files? Election hacking worries persist and concerns about secret ballots appear. Some Tor users want to call a general strike against the anonymizing network, point-of-sale malware, and what to do about it. And a new Vossner round will revisit cyber arms control next month. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Monday, August 22, 2016. The security community continues to follow the shadow brokers incident with close attention. Speculation continues to point to Russian intelligence services as the source of the compromise, which is now generally regarded as genuine. One of those suggesting Russian involvement is Edward Snowden, who is, one recalls, still resident in Moscow. The Intercept reports finding strings in documents Edward Snowden took with him when he defected to Russia that are identical to some strings in the documents the shadow brokers have released, ostensibly as lost leaders for their auction. No further leaks have appeared, and so far no one has ponied up the half-billion dollars the shadow brokers are somewhat implausibly asking for. There has been some bidding on the unreleased files, but nothing approaching the asking price. ZDNet reports seeing Bitcoin wallets seized from Silk Road in the bidding, which leads some to speculate that the U.S. government is in on the auction. The compromise has prompted considerable discussion of hybrid warfare, cyber deterrence, retaliation, and government disclosure policy. Those who have commented on disclosure policy see the incident as tipping the balance in favor of disclosure as opposed to hoarding. Other observers see tension in NSA's dual responsibility for SIGINT collection and for information assurance. We heard from Will Ackerley, CTO and co-founder of secure email solution provider Virtrue. Noting that the shadow broker's leaked exploits affected firewalls, he commented that, quote, most often data is stored on devices or transmitted without its own protections, end quote. Once an attacker is in your network, Ackerley says, the unprotected information there amounts to a sitting duck. He thinks the Shadow Brokers episode will accelerate movement away from network or device security and toward data security. Quote, the ultimate goal is to protect data from inception and only unlock it during consumption. End quote. The Shadow Brokers incident also continues to stoke concerns about election hacking. Statements from U.S. election officials seek to reassure voters, but their efforts to do so seem to have achieved little beyond a mood of resignation. 
Observers point out that properly secured electronic voting may inevitably be in tension with voters' expectations of a secret ballot. Some users are calling for a general strike against Tor to protest the service's investigation and ouster of a high-profile Tor activist. The idea would be to take the anonymous service offline for a day. Journalist Jacob Applebaum, who had been an important participant in the Tor project, was removed from his position following the project's investigation of allegations of misconduct. Eddie Bauer, late last Thursday, disclosed a malware infestation in its point-of-sale system that exposed cards used in transactions between January 2nd and July 17th of this year. The infections appear to be part of the large campaign that's affected the hospitality industry. Chris Weber, security strategist at Centrify, sees the incident as a cautionary tale and the importance of securing privileged accounts. It's too easy to pivot from a single account and move through an entire network. Quote, this is because that privileged account, often a systems administrator or service account, has deep access to everything inside a network. End quote. Weber advocates policies of least privileged access, tighter controlled over shared accounts, and more closely secured remote access. A growing trend has been the proliferation of malware as a service, providing those who are so inclined the opportunity to do their deeds at a much lower cost of entry, both financially and when it comes to technical skills. Michael Marriott is a research analyst at Digital Shadows, where they've been tracking the Deer.io marketplace. So it's a one-stop shop um, that many cyber criminals use to advertise and sell their goods. For eight rubles a month, which is uh, under a dollar, you can get ready-made templates, secure hosting, anonymity, and payment processes um, to advertise and sell your goods. And we estimate, it's hard to be precise, but there are about 1,000 shops offering a variety of different goods and services on Deer.io. And what kind of things are being sold here? So there's a whole host of different services. There's the site that Tessa88 um, was advertising. So these would be massive data dumps, uh, such as the LinkedIn and MySpace ones. But there's also a lot of bot-registered social media accounts, which, although are not illegal, breach the terms and conditions of many sites. Um, there's stolen and hacked accounts. There's dedicated servers. Um, and then we also see, yeah, the, the more big cybercrime elements like Dark Side Global, which is Tessa's. Is Deer.io you know, right out in the open? Can anybody just go start uh, shopping around in this marketplace? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's just just on the surface web. Um, they've got a got a great interface. You can use the search bar to search for particular items that you may want. And while it should be clear that Deer.io is not criminal in and of itself, what it's doing is just making it so much easier for these cyber criminals, which constitute about ninety nine percent of it is grey or black goods for sale. And so uh, this is a Russian language site. Do we know, is, is it actually being hosted in Russia? And, and if so, are the authorities simply turning a blind eye to it? It's hosted and there are a few different elements to that. Um, there's, it uses Voxility, which is, I believe, based in Romania. It has been shut down previously or blacklisted by the Russian internet monitoring authorities, if you will, um, for a brief period um, a couple of months ago. In Ukraine, uh, a man was arrested for hosting a shop on one of these sites. 
Um, but as I'm aware, there haven't been any prosecutions within Russia itself. So what, what, what do you think this, this speaks to in, in terms of this trend that we're seeing of, of cybercrime as a service? We've seen this before already with DDoS as a service, ransomware as a service. What I think is different about Deer.io is that all these support services that we see fragmented across various different places on the open, dark and deep web, they're all bundled together in one place. And this serves to lower the barriers to entry. It's this trade-off between OPSEC and advertising that deters many cyber criminals from going about their day-to-day business. How much do you advertise, get your name out there, become a media hit, um, and then through that you get more and more business? But you've got the risk of overexposing yourself and leaving yourself vulnerable to competitors or law enforcement. And what this is doing is sort of taking that away. So if somebody's got some site they can pay very, very little money for to host, then actually they can sell things which are pretty low level, not that expensive, but those niggling illegal goods that previously it wouldn't have really been feasible to sell because of all the back-end hosting and templates, payments, etc. So I think that's a really important point to bring out. That's Michael Marriott from Digital Shadows. In industry news, Cisco continues to reposition itself as a security provider. Dell talks about plans for SonicWall, and the aforementioned Virtru closes a $29 million Series A round led by Bessemer Capital. The next round of the Vossener Cyber Arms Control talks is scheduled for September. The talks are expected to narrow the scope of intrusion software that controls industry found objectionable. The Bureau of Industry and Security at the U.S. Department of Commerce withdrew its draft rule implementing the Vossner framework in 2015 after industry objections that the rule would essentially criminalize legitimate vulnerability research. A new draft rule is expected to be issued after the upcoming round of talks, probably in the spring of 2017. Finally, we're pleased to say that we have nothing whatsoever to say this afternoon about either Pokemon or the Incredible Hulk. Actually, we're a little sorry we don't have any more Hulk speak to share with you. Perhaps the Shadow Brokers will release some fresh communique and we'll hear more from Natalia Romanova. Did you know that the Shadow Broker is an information dealer in the Mass Effect video game? And why do threat actors like action role-playing so much? Maybe the question answers itself. In any case, Crash Bandicoot was unavailable for comment. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. 
Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm joined once again by John Liesebauer. He's the CTO at Quintessence Labs, one of our academic and research partners. John, I know you wanted to share some information with our listeners about the standards when it comes to cryptographic and key management. What do we need to know about that? Common standards uh, help enable interoperability. It's important, though, that the standards we use are properly defined, unambiguous, and vendor-independent. There are standards for almost every technical field. For cryptography and key management, there are standards from organisations such as the IETF, OASIS, OSI, the IEEE, NIST, ANSI, the payment card industry, and plenty of others. There's there's no problem finding a standard in in the cyber security world. Uh, Two of the most more important interoperability-focused standards, though, for cryptography and key management would be PKSIS 11, which is public key cryptography standard number 11, and KMIP, or KMIP, the Key Management Interoperability Protocol. Both of these standards are currently managed by OASIS, the Organisation for the Advancement of Structured Information. And so digging into those, I mean, how, how do we deal with them uh, and what part do they play in uh, in cryptography and security? PKS11 is a standard for cryptographic application programming interface. It defines a, a vendor-independent API performing cryptographic operations such as encryption and digital signatures and also key generation. Uh, PKS11 turned 25 this year, so it's quite an old standard. Uh, it was originally managed by RSA as an industry standard that moved to Oasis just over three years ago. Uh, P11 is widely used in cryptographic products from smart cards to hardware security modules and database encryption to web servers. Uh, similar standards to PKS11 would be Microsoft CMG, or CAPI in the old days, uh, the OpenSSL API and the Java JCE interface. In fact, both OpenSSL and JCE support cryptographic providers that present a PKS11 interface. The other standard I mentioned, KMIP, uh, specifies a protocol for the exchange of key management messages between key management clients and servers. It specifies operations such as create, register and get for objects like symmetric keys, key pairs and certificates. It's a relatively new standard. Uh, it was first published in 2010. All right, interesting stuff. John Lisa Barr, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2, 
or ISO 27001, and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.